The Epic of Gilgamesh. Prologue. Gilgamesh, King in Uruk. I will proclaim to the world the deeds of Gilgamesh. This was the man to whom all things were known. This was the king who knew the countries of the world. He was wise. He saw mysteries and knew secret things. He brought us a tale of the days before the flood. He went on a long journey, was weary, worn out with labour. Returning he rested, he engraved on a stone the whole story. When the gods created Gilgamesh, they gave him a perfect body. Shamash, the glorious sun, endowed him with beauty. Adad, the god of storm, endowed him with courage. The great gods made his beauty perfect, surpassing all others, terrifying like a great wild bull. Two-thirds they made him god, and one-third man. In Uruk he built walls, a great rampart, and the temple of blessed Iana, for the god of the firmament Anu, and for Ishtar, the goddess of love. Look at it still today. The outer wall where the cornice runs, it shines with the brilliance of copper, and the inner wall, it has no equal. Touch the threshold, it is ancient. Approach Iana, the dwelling of Ishtar, our lady of love and war, and like which no latter-day king, no man alive can equal. Climb upon the wall of Uruk, walk along it, I say, regard the foundation terrace and examine the masonry. Is it not burnt brick and good? The seven sages laid the foundations. 1. The coming of Enkidu Gilgamesh went abroad in the world, but he met with none who could withstand his arms, till he came to Uruk. But the men of Uruk muttered in their houses, Gilgamesh sounds the toxin for his amusement, his arrogance has no bounds by day or night, no son is left with his father, for Gilgamesh takes them all, even the children, yet the king should be a shepherd to his people, his lust leaves no virgin to her lover, neither the warrior's daughter nor the wife of a noble, yet this is the shepherd of the city, wise, comely and resolute. The gods heard their lament. The gods of heaven cried to the lord of Uruk, to Anu the god of Uruk. A goddess made him, strong as a savage bull. None can withstand his arms. No son is left with his father, for Gilgamesh takes them all. And this is the king, the shepherd of his people? His lust leaves no virgin to her lover, neither the warrior's daughter nor the wife of the noble. When Anu heard their lamentation to the gods, cried to Aruru, the goddess of creation, you made him, O Aruru. Now create his equal. Let it be like him as his own reflection, his second self, stormy heart for stormy heart. Let them contend together and leave Uruk in quiet. So the goddess conceived an image in her mind, and it was of the stuff of Anu of the firmament. She dipped her hands in water and pinched off clay. She let it fall in the wilderness, and the noble Enkidu was created. There was virtue in him of the god of war, of Ninurta himself. His body was rough. He had long hair like a woman's. It waved like the hair of Nisaba, the goddess of corn. His body was covered with matted hair, like Samugans, the god of cattle. He was innocent of mankind. He knew nothing of the cultivated land. Enkidu ate grass in the hills with the gazelle, and lurked with the wild beasts at the waterholes. He had the joy of the water with the herds of wild game. But there was a trapper who met him one day face to face at the drinking hole, 
for the wild game had entered his territory. On three days he met him face to face, and the trapper was frozen in fear. He went back to his house with the game that he had caught, and he was dumb, benumbed with terror. His face was altered like that of one who has made a long journey. With awe in his heart he spoke to his father. Father, there is a man, unlike any other, who comes down from the hills. He is the strongest in the world. He is like an immortal from heaven. He ranges over the hills with the wild beasts and eats grass. The ranges through your land and comes down to the wells. I am afraid and dare not go near him. He fills the pits which I dig and tears up my traps I set for the game. He helps the beasts to escape, and now they slip through my fingers. His father opened his mouth and said to the trapper, My son, in Uruk lives Gilgamesh. No one has ever prevailed against him. He is as strong as a star from heaven. Go to Uruk, find Gilgamesh, extol the strength of this wild man. Ask him to give you a harlot, a wanton from the Temple of Love. Return with her, and let her woman's power overpower this man. When next he comes down to drink at the wells, she will be there, stripped naked, and when he sees her beckoning, he will embrace her, and then the wild beasts will reject him. So the trapper set out on his journey to Uruk, and addressed himself to Gilgamesh, saying, A man unlike any other is now roaming in the pastures. He is as strong as a star from heaven, and I am afraid to approach him. He helps the wild game to escape. He fills my pits and pulls up my traps. Gilgamesh said, Trapper, take back with your harlot a child of pleasure. At the drinking hole she will strip, and when he sees her beckoning he will embrace her, and the game of the wilderness will surely reject him. Now the trapper returned, taking the harlot with him. After a three days journey they came to the drinking hole, and there they sat down, the harlot and the trapper sat, facing one another, and waited for the game to come. For the first day and the second day the two sat waiting, but on the third day the herds came, they came to, down to drink, and Enkidu was with them. The small wild creatures of the plains were glad of the water, and Enkidu with them, who ate the grass with the gazelle, and was born in the hills, and she saw him, the savage man, come from the far off in the hills. The trapper spoke to her, there he is. Now woman, make your breasts bare and have no shame. Do not delay but welcome his love. Let him see you naked, let him possess your body. When he comes near, uncover yourself and lie with him. Teach him, the savage man, your woman's art. For when he murmurs love to you, the wild beast that shared his life in the hills will reject him. She was not ashamed to take him. She made herself naked and welcomed his eagerness. As he lay on her, murmuring love, she taught him the woman's art. For six days and seven nights they lay together, for Enkidu had forgotten his home in the hills. But when he was satisfied, he went back to the wild beasts. Then, when the gazelle saw him, they bolted away. When the wild creatures saw him, they fled. Enkidu would have followed, but his body was bound as though with a cord. His knees gave way when he started to run. His swiftness was gone. And now the wild creatures had all fled away. Enkidu was grown weak, for wisdom was in him, and the thoughts of a man were in his heart. So he returned and sat down at the woman's feet, and listened intently to what she said. You are wise, Enkidu, and now you have become like a god. Why do you want to run wild with the beasts of the hills? Come with me, I will take you to strong-walled Uruk, 
to the blessed temple of Ishtar and of Anu, of love and of heaven, there Gilgamesh lives, who is very strong, and like a wild bull, he lords it over men. When she had spoken, Enkidu was pleased. He longed for a comrade, for one who could understand his heart. Come, woman, and take me to that holy temple, to the house of Anu and Ishtar, and to the place where Gilgamesh lords it over the people. I will challenge him boldly. I will cry out aloud in Uruk. I am the strongest here. I have come to change the old order. I am he who was born in the hills. I am he who is strongest of all. She said, let us go. Let him see your face. I know very well where Gilgamesh is in great Uruk. O Enkidu, there all the people are dressed in their gorgeous robes. Every day is holiday. The young men and girls are wonderful to see. How sweet they smell. All the great ones are roused from their beds. O Enkidu, you who love life, I will show you Gilgamesh, a man of many moods. You shall look at him well in his radiant manhood. His body is perfect in strength and maturity. He never rests by night or day. He is stronger than you, so leave your boasting. Shamash, the glorious son, has given favours to Gilgamesh, and Anu of the heavens, and Enlil, and Ea. The wise has given him deep understanding. Tell you, even before you have left the wilderness, Gilgamesh will know in his dreams that you are coming. Now Gilgamesh got up to tell his dream to his mother, Ninsun, one of the wise gods. Mother, last night I had a dream. I was full of joy. The young heroes around me. And I walked through the night under the stars of the firmament. And one, a meteor of the stuff of Anu, fell down from heaven. I tried to lift it, but it proved too heavy. All of the people of Uruk came around to see it. The common people jostled and the nobles thronged to kiss its feet. And to me its attraction was like the love of a woman. They helped me. I braced my forehead and I raised it with thongs and I brought it to you. And you yourself pronounced it my brother. Then Ninsun, who was well beloved and wise, said to Gilgamesh, This star of heaven, which descended like a meteor from the sky, which you tried to lift but found too heavy, when you tried to move it, it would not budge, and so you brought it to my feet. I made it for you, a goad and spur, and you were drawn to it as though to a woman. This is the strong comrade, the one who brings help to his friend in need. He is the strongest of wild creatures, the stuff of Anu, born in the grasslands and the wild hills reared him. When you see him, you will be glad. You will love him as a woman, and he will never forsake you. This is the meaning of the dream. Gilgamesh said, Mother, I have dreamed a second dream. In the streets of strong-walled Uruk there lay an axe. The shape of it was strange, and the people thronged around. I saw it and was glad. I bent down, deeply drawn towards it. I loved it like a woman, and I wore it at my side. Ninsun answered, That axe, which you saw, which drew so powerfully like the love of a woman, that is the comrade who I give to you and he will come in his strength like one of the host of heaven. He is the brave companion who rescues his friend in necessity. Gilgamesh said to his mother, A friend, a counsellor, has come to me from Enlil, and now I shall befriend and counsel him. So Gilgamesh told his dreams, and the harlots retold them to Enkidu. And now she said to Enkidu, When I look at you, you have become like a god. Why do you yearn to run wild again with the beasts in the hills? Get up from the ground, the bed of a shepherd. He listened to her words with care, 
It was good advice that she gave. She divided her clothing in two, and with one half she clothed him, and with the other herself, and holding his hand she led him like a child to the sheepfolds into the shepherd's tents. There all the shepherds crowded around to see him. They put down bread in front of him, but Enkidu could only suck the milk of wild animals. He fumbled and gaped, at a loss what to do or how he should eat the bread and drink the strong wine. Then the woman said, Enkidu, eat bread, it is the stuff of life. Drink the wine, it is the custom of the land. So he ate till he was full and drank strong wine, seven goblets. He became merry, his heart exalted, and his face shone. He rubbed down the matted hair of his body and anointed himself with oil. Enkidu had become a man, but when he had put on man's clothing, he appeared like a bridegroom. He took arms to hunt the lion, so that the shepherds could rest at night. He caught wolves and lions, and the herdsmen lay down in peace, for Enkidu was their watchman, that strong man who had no rival. He was merry living with the shepherds, till one day lifting his eyes he saw a man approaching. He said to the harlot, Woman, fetch that man here. Why has he come? I wish to know his name. She went and called the man, saying, Sir, where are you going on this weary journey? The man answers, saying to Enkidu, Gilgamesh has gone to the marriage house and shut out the people. He does strange things in Uruk, the city of great streets. At the roll of the drum, work begins for the men and work for the women. Gilgamesh the king is about to celebrate marriage with the queen of love, and he still demands to be the first with the bride, the king to be first and the husband to follow, for that was ordained by the gods from his birth from the time the umbilical cord was cut. But now the drums roll for the choice of the bride, and the city groans. At these words, Enkidu turned white in the face. I will go to the place where Gilgamesh lords it over the people. I will challenge him boldly. I will cry aloud in Uruk. I have come to change the old order, for I am the strongest here. Now Enkidu strode in front, and the woman followed behind. He entered Uruk, that great market, and all the folk thronged around him, where he stood in the street in Strongworld Uruk. The people jostled. Speaking of him, they said, He is the spit of Gilgamesh. He is shorter. He is bigger of bone. This is the one reared on the milk of the wild beasts. His is the greatest strength. The men rejoiced. Now Gilgamesh has met his match. This great one, this hero whose beauty is like a god, he is a match even for Gilgamesh. In Uruk the bridal bed was made, fit for the goddess of love. The bride waited for the bridegroom, but in the night Gilgamesh got up and came to the house. Then Enkidu stepped out. He stood in the street and blocked the way. Mighty Gilgamesh came on and Enkidu met him at the gate. He put out his foot and prevented Gilgamesh from entering the house, so they grappled, holding each other like bulls. They broke the doorposts and the walls shook. They snorted like bulls locked together. They shattered the doorposts and the walls shook. Gilgamesh bent his knee with his foot planted on the ground and with a turn Enkidu was thrown. Then immediately his fury died. When Enkidu was thrown he said to Gilgamesh, There is not another like you in the world. Ninsun, who is as strong as a wild ox in the byre, said she was the mother who bore you. So now you are raised above all men and Endel has given you the kingship for your strength surpasses the strength of men. So Enkidu and Gilgamesh embraced, 
and their friendship was sealed. 2. The Forest Journey Enlil of the Mountain, the father of the gods, had decreed the destiny of Gilgamesh. So Gilgamesh dreamed and Enkidu said, The meaning of the dream is this, the father of the gods has given you kingship. Such is your destiny. Everlasting life is not your destiny. Because of this, do not be sad at heart. Do not be grieved or oppressed. He has given you power to bind and to loose, to be the darkness and the light of mankind. He has given you unexampled supremacy over the people, victory in battle from which no fugitive returns, in forays and assaults from which there is no going back. But do not abuse this power. Deal justly with your servants in the palace. Deal justly before Shamash. The eyes of Enkidu were full of tears, and his heart was sick. He sighed bitterly, and Gilgamesh met his eye and said, My friend, why do you sigh so bitterly? But Enkidu opened his mouth and said, I am weak, my arms have lost their strength, the cry of sorrow sticks in my throat. I am oppressed by idleness. It was then the Lord Gilgamesh turned his thoughts to the country of the living, on the land of cedars, the Lord Gilgamesh reflected. He said to his servant Enkidu, I have not established my name stamped on bricks, as my destiny decreed. Therefore I will go up to the country where the cedar is felled. I will set up my name in the place where the names of famous men are written. And where no man's name is written yet, I will raise a monument to the gods. Because of the evil that is in the land, we will go into the forest and destroy the evil. For in the forest lives Humbaba, whose name is Hugeness a ferocious giant. But Enkidu sighed bitterly and said, When I went with the wild beasts ranging through the wilderness, I discovered the forest. Its length is 10,000 leagues in every direction. Enlil has appointed Humbaba to guard it, and armed him with sevenfold terrors. Terrible to all flesh is Humbaba. When he roars, it is like the torrent of a storm. His breath is like fire, his jaws are death itself. He guards the cedars so well that when the wild heifer stirs in the forest, though she is sixty leagues distant, he hears her. What man would willingly walk into that country and explore its depths? I tell you, weakness overpowers whoever goes near. It is not an equal struggle when one fights with Humbaba. He is a great warrior, a battering ram. Gilgamesh, the watchman of the forest, never sleeps. Gilgamesh replied, Where is the man who can clamber to heaven? Only the gods live forever, with glorious Shamash. But as for us men, our days are numbered. Our occupations are a breath of wind. How is this? Already you are afraid. I will go first, although I am your lord, and you may safely call out, Forward, there is nothing to fear. Then, if I fall, I leave behind me a name that endures. Men will say of me, Gilgamesh has fallen in fight with ferocious Humbaba. Long after the child has been born in my house, they will say it and remember. Enkidu spoke again to Gilgamesh. O oh my lord, if you will enter that country, go first to the hero Shamash. Tell the sun god, for the land is his. The country where the cedar is cut belongs to Shamash. Gilgamesh took up a kid, white without spots, and a brown one with it, and held them against his breast. He carried them into the presence of the sun. He took in his hand a silver scepter, and he said to glorious Shamash, I am going to that country, O Shamash. I am going. My hands supplicate, so let it be well with my soul, 
and bring me back to the key of a rook. Grant, I beseech, your protection. Let the omen be good. Glorious Shamash answered, Gilgamesh, you are strong, but what is the country of the living to you? O Shamash, hear me. Hear me, Shamash. Let my voice be heard. Here in the city, man dies oppressed at heart. Man perishes with despair in his heart. I have looked over the wall and I see the bodies floating on the river. And that will be my lot also. Indeed, I know that it is so. For whoever is tallest among men cannot reach the heavens, and the greatest cannot encompass the earth. Therefore I would enter that country, because I have not established my name stamped on brick, as my destiny decreed. I will go to that country where the cedar is cut. I will set up my name where the names of famous men are written. And where no man's name is written, I will raise a monument to the gods. The tears ran down his face, and he said, Alas, it is a long journey I must take to the land of Humbaba. If this enterprise is not to be accomplished, why did you move me, Shamash, with a restless desire to perform it? How can I succeed if you will not succour me? And if I die in that country, I will die without rancour. But if I return, I will make a glorious offering of gifts and of praise to Shamash. So Shamash accepted the sacrifice of his tears. Like the compassionate man, he showed him mercy. He appointed strong allies for Gilgamesh, sons of one mother, and stationed them in mountain caves. Great winds he appointed, the north wind, the whirlwind, the stone and the icy wind, the tempest and the scorching wind, like vipers, like dragons, like scorching fire, like a serpent that freezes the heart, a destroying flood and the lightning's fork. Such were they, and Gilgamesh rejoiced. He went to the forge and said, I will give orders to the armourers. They shall cast us our weapons while we watch them. So they gave orders to the armourers and craftsmen and sat down in conference. They went to the groves of the plain and cut willow and boxwood. They cast for them axes of nine score pounds, and great swords they cast with blades of six score pounds each one, with pommels and hilts of thirty pounds. They cast for Gilgamesh the axe, might of heroes, and the bow of Anshan. And Gilgamesh was armed, and Enkidu, with the weight of the arms they carried, was thirty score pounds. The people collected, and the councillors in the streets and in the marketplace of Uruk, they came to the gate of seven bolts, and Gilgamesh spoke to them in the marketplace. I, Gilgamesh, go to see that creature of whom such things are spoken, the rumour of whose name fills the world. I will conquer him in his cedar wood, and show the strength of the sons of Uruk, and all the world shall know. I am committed to this enterprise, to climb the mountain, to cut down the cedar, to leave behind me an enduring name. The councillors of Uruk, the great market, answered him, Gilgamesh, you are young and your courage carries you far. You cannot know what this enterprise means, which you have planned. We have heard that Humbaba is not like men who die. His weapons are such that none can stand against them. The forest stretches for 10,000 leagues in every direction. Who would willingly go down to explore its depths? As for Humbaba, when he roars, it is like the torrent of a storm. His breath is like fire, and his jaws are death itself. Why do you crave to do this thing, Gilgamesh? It is no equal struggle when one fights with Humbaba, that battering ram. When he heard these words of the counsellors, Gilgamesh looked at his friend and laughed. How shall I answer them? Shall I say I am afraid of Humbaba? I will sit at home all the rest of my days? Then Gilgamesh opened his mouth again and said to Enkidu, 
My friend, let us go to the Great Palace, to Egalma, and stand before Ninsun the Queen. Ninsun is wise with deep knowledge. She will give us counsel for the road that we must go. They took each other by the hand, and they went to Elgalma. And they went to Ninsun the Great Queen. Gilgamesh approached. He entered the palace and spoke to Ninsun. Ninsun, will you listen to me? I have a long journey to go, to the land of Humbaba, and I must travel an unknown road and fight a strange battle. From the day I go until I return, till I reach the Cedar Forest and destroy the evil which Shamash abhors, pray for me to Shamash. Ninsun went into her room. She put on a dress becoming to her body. She put on jewels to make her breast beautiful. She placed a tiara on her head, and her skirts swept the ground. Then she went up to the altar of the sun. Standing upon the roof of the palace, she burnt incense and lifted her arms to Shamash as the smoke ascended. O oh Shamash, why do you give this restless heart to Gilgamesh, my son? Why did you give it? You have moved him, and now he sets out on a long journey to the land of Humbaba, to travel an unknown road and fight a strange battle. Therefore, from the day that he goes till the day he returns, until he reaches the Cedar Forest, until he kills Humbaba and destroys the evil thing which you, Shamash, abhor, do not forget him. But let the dawn, Aya, your dear bride, remind you always, and when the day is done, give him to the watchman of the night, to keep him from harm. Then Ninsun, the mother of Gilgamesh, extinguished the incense, and she called to Enkidu with this exhortation, Strong Enkidu, you are not the child of my body, but I will receive you as my adopted son. You are my other child, like the foundlings they bring to the temple. Serve Gilgamesh, and as a foundling serves the temple and priestesses who reared him, in the presence of my women, any votaries and hierophants, I declare it. She then placed the amulet for a pledge around his neck and said to him, I entrust my son to you. Bring him back to me safely. And now they brought to them the weapons. They put in their hands the great swords in their golden scabbards, and the bow and the quiver. Gilgamesh took the axe, he slung the quiver from his shoulder, and the bow of Anshan, and buckled the sword to his belt, so they were armed and ready for the journey. Now all the people came and pressed on them, and said, When, when will you return to the city? The councillors blessed Gilgamesh, and warned him, Do not trust too much in your own strength. Be watchful. Restrain your blows at first. The one who goes in front protects his companion. The good guide who knows the way guards his friend. Let Enkidu lead the way. He knows the road to the forest. He has seen Humbaba and is experienced in battles. Let him press first into the passes. Let him be watchful and look to himself. Let Enkidu protect his friend and guard his companion and bring him safe through the pitfalls of the road. We, the counsellors of Uruk, Entrust our king to you, O Enkidu. Bring him back safely to us. Again to Gilgamesh they said, May Shamash give you your heart's desire. May he let you see with your eyes the thing accomplished which your lips have spoken. May he open a path for you where it is blocked, and a road for your feet to tread. May he open the mountains for your crossing, and may the night time bring you the blessings of night, and Lugal Banda, your guardian god, stand beside you for victory. May you have victory in battle, as though you fought with a child. Wash your feet in the river of Humbaba, to which you are journeying. In the evening, dig a well, and let there always be pure water in your water skin. Offer cold water to Shamash, 
and do not forget Lugal Banda. Then Enkidu opened his mouth and said, Forward, there is nothing to fear. Follow me, for I know the place where Humbaba lives, and the paths where he walks. Let the councillors go back, that here is no cause for fear. When the councillors heard this, they sped the hero on his way. Go, Gilgamesh. May your guardian god protect you on the road and bring you safely back to the key of Uruk. After twenty leagues, they broke their fast. After another thirty leagues, they stopped for the night. Fifty leagues they walked in one day, and in three days they had walked as much of a journey as a month and two weeks. They crossed seven mountains before they came to the gates of the forest. Then Enkidu called out to Gilgamesh, Do not go down into the forest. When I opened the gate, my hand lost its strength. Gilgamesh answered him, Dear friend, do not speak like a coward. We have got the better of so many dangers and travelled so far to turn back at last. You, who are tried in wars and battles, hold close to me now, and you will feel no fear of death. Keep beside me, and your weakness will pass. The trembling will leave your hand. Would my friend rather stay behind? No. We will go down together into the heart of the forest. Let your courage be roused by the battle to come. Forget death and follow me. A man resolute in action, but one who is not foolhardy. When two go together, each will protect himself and shield his companion, and if they fall, they leave an enduring name. Together they went down into the forest, and they came to the green mountain. There they stood still, they were struck dumb. They stood still and gazed at the forest. They saw the height of the cedar, they saw the way into the forest and the track where Humbaba used to walk. The way was broad, and the going was good. They gazed at the mountain of cedars, the dwelling place of the gods and the throne of Ishtar. The hugeness of the cedar rose in front of the mountain. Its shade was beautiful, full of comfort. Mountain and glade were green with brushwood. There Gilgamesh dug a well before the setting sun. He went up to the mountain and poured out fine meal on the ground and said, O mountain, dwelling of the gods, bring me a favourable dream. Then they took each other by the hand and lay down to sleep, and sleep that follows from the night lapped over them. Gilgamesh dreamed, and at the midnight sleep he left him, and he told his dream to his friend. Enkidu, what was it that woke me up if you did not? My friend, I have dreamed a dream. Get up and look at the mountain precipice. The sleep that the gods sent me is broken. Ah, my friend, what a dream I have had. Terror and confusion. I seized hold of a wild bull in the wilderness. It bellowed and beat up the dust until the whole sky was dark. My arm was seized and my tongue bitten. I fell back on my knee. Then someone refreshed me with water from his water skin. Enkidu said, Dear friend, the god to whom we am travelling is no wild bull, though his form is mysterious. That wild bull which you saw is Shamash the Protector. In our moment of peril he will take our hands. The one who gave water from his water skin, that is your own god, who cares for your good name, your Lugal Banda. United with him together, we will accomplish a work of fame which will never die. Gilgamesh said, I dreamed again. We stood in the deep gorge of the mountain, and beside it we too were like the smallest of swamp flies, and suddenly the mountain fell. It struck me and caught my feet from under me. Then came an intolerable light blazing out, and in it was one whose grace and whose beauty were greater than the beauty of this world. 
He pulled me out from under the mountain. He gave me water to drink, and my heart was comforted, and he set my feet on the ground. Then Enkidu, child of the plains, said, Let us go down from the mountain and talk this thing over together. He said to Gilgamesh the young god, Your dream is good. Your dream is excellent. The mountain which you saw is Humbaba. Now surely we will seize and kill him and throw his body down as the mountain fell on the plain. The next day, after twenty leagues, they broke their fast, and after another thirty, they stopped for the night. They dug a well before the sun had set, and Gilgamesh ascended the mountain. He poured out fine meal on the ground and said, O mountain, dwelling of the gods, send a dream for Enkidu, make him a favourable dream. The mountain fashioned a dream for Enkidu. It came, an ominous dream. A cold shower passed over him. It caused him to cower like the mountain barley under a storm of rain. But Gilgamesh sat with his chin on his knees till the sleep which flows over all mankind lapped over him. Then, at midnight, sleep left him. He got up and said to his friend, Did you call me, or why did I wake? Did you touch me? Why am I terrified? Did not some god pass by? For my limbs are numb with fear. My friend, I saw a third dream, and this dream was altogether frightful. The heavens roared and the earth roared again. Daylight failed and the darkness fell. Lightning flashed and fire blazed out. The clouds lowered, they rained down death. Then the brightness departed. The fire went out and all was turned to ashes, fallen about us. Let us go down from the mountain and talk this over, and consider what we should do. When they had come down from the mountain, Gilgamesh seized the axe in his hand. He felled the cedar. When Humbaba heard the noise from far off, he was enraged. He cried out, Who is this that has violated my woods and cut down my cedar? But glorious Shamash called to them out of heaven. Go forward, do not be afraid. But now Gilgamesh was overcome with weakness, for sleep had seized him suddenly. A profound sleep held him. He lay on the ground, stretched out speechless, as though in a dream. When Enkidu touched him, he did not rise. When he spoke to him, he did not reply. O Gilgamesh, lord of the plain of Kalub, the world grows dark. The shadows have spread over it, and now is the glimmer of dusk. Shamash has departed. His bright head is quenched in the bosom of his mother, Ningal. O Gilgamesh, how long will you lie like this in sleep? Never let the mother who gave you birth be forced into mourning in the city square. At length Gilgamesh heard him, and put on his breastplate. The voice of heroes, of thirty shekels weight, he put it on as though it was a light garment that he carried, and it covered him altogether. He straddled the earth like a bull that snuffs the ground, and his teeth were clenched. By the life of my mother Ninsun who gave me birth, and the life of my father, divine Lugalbanda, let me live to be the wonder of my mother, as when she nursed me on her lap. A second time he said to him, By the life of Ninsun my mother, who gave me birth, and by the life of my father, divine Lugalbanda, until we have fought this man, if man he is, this god, if god he is, the way I took to the country of the living will not turn back to the city. Then Enkidu, the faithful companion, pleaded, answering him, O oh my lord, you do not know this monster, and that is the reason that you are not afraid. I know him. I am terrified. His teeth are dragon's fangs. His countenance is like a lion. His charge is the rushing of the flood, 
and with his look he crushes alike the trees of the forest and the reeds of the swamp. O oh my lord, you may go on if you choose, into thus land, but I will go back to the city. I will tell the lady your mother all your glorious deeds until she shouts for joy, and then I will tell the death that followed until she weeps for bitterness. But Gilgamesh said, Immolation and sacrifice are not yet for me. The boat of the dead shall not go down, nor the three-ply cloth be cut for my shrouding. Not yet will my people be desolate, nor the pyre be lit in my house, and my dwelling burnt on the fire. Today give me your aid and you shall have mine. What then can go amiss with us two? All living creatures born of the flesh shall sit in the last boat of the west, and when it sinks, the boat of Maglium sinks, and they are gone. But we shall go forward and fix our eyes on the monster. If your heart is fearful, throw away fear. If there is terror in it, throw away terror. Take your axe in your hand and attack. He who leaves the fight unfinished is not at peace. Humbaba came out of his strong house of cedar. Then Enkidu called out, O Gilgamesh, remember your boasts in Uruk. Forward, attack, son of Uruk. There is nothing to fear. When he heard those words, his courage rallied. He answered, Make haste, close in. If the watchman is there, do not let him escape the woods, where he will vanish. He has put on the first of his seven splendours, but not yet the other six. Let us trap him before he is armed. Like a raging wild bull, he snuffed the ground. The watchman of the woods turned full of threatenings. He cried out. Humbaba came from his house of strong cedar. He nodded his head and shook it, menacing Gilgamesh, and on him he fastened his eye, the eye of death. Then Gilgamesh called out to Shamash, and his tears were flowing. O glorious Shamash, I have followed the road you have commanded, but now if you send no succour, how shall I escape? Glorious Shamash heard his prayer, and he summoned the great wind, the north wind, the whirlwind, the storm, the icy wind, the tempest and the scorching wind. They came like dragons, like a scorching fire, like a serpent that freezes the heart, a destroying flood and a lightning's fork. The eight winds rose up against Humbaba, they beat against his eyes. He was gripped, unable to go forward or back. Gilgamesh shouted, By the life of Ninsun, my mother, and divine Lugalbanda, my father, in the country of the living, in this land I have discovered your dwelling. My weak arms and my small weapons I have brought into this land against you, and now I will enter your house. And so he felled the first cedar, and they cut the branches and laid them at the foot of the mountain. At the first stroke, Humbaba blazed out, but still they advanced. They felled seven cedars and cut and bound branches and laid them at the foot of the mountain, and seven times Humbaba loosed his glory upon them. As the seventh blaze died out, they reached his lair. He slapped his thigh in scorn. He approached like a noble wild bull roped on the mountain, a warrior whose elbows are bound together. The tears started to his eyes and he was pale. Gilgamesh, let me speak. I have never known a mother nor father who reared me. I was born of the mountain, he reared me, and Enlil made me the keeper of this forest. Let me go free, Gilgamesh, and I will be your servant. You shall be my lord, and all the trees of the forest that I have tended on the mountain shall be yours. I will cut them down and build you a palace. He took him by the hand and led him to his house, so that the heart of Gilgamesh was moved with compassion. He swore by the heavenly life, by the earthly life, by the underworld itself, O Enkidu, should not the snared bird return to its nest, and the captive man return to his mother's arms? 
Enkidu answered, The strongest of men will fall to fate if he has no judgment. Namtar, the evil fate that knows no distinction between men, will devour him. If the snared bird returns to its nest, if the captive man returns to his mother's arms, then you, my friend, will never return to the city where the mother is waiting who gave you birth. He will bar the mountain road against you and make all the pathways impassable. Humbaba said, Enkidu, what you have spoken is evil. You, a hireling, dependent for your bread. In envy and for fear of a rival, you have spoken evil words. Enkidu said, Do not listen, Gilgamesh. This Humbaba must die. Kill Humbaba first and his servants after. But Gilgamesh said, If we touch him, the blaze and the glory of the light will be put out in confusion. The glory and glamour will vanish. Its rays will be quenched. Enkidu said to Gilgamesh, Not so, my friend. First entrap the bird. And where shall the chicks run then? Afterwards we can search out the glory and the glamour, when the chicks run distracted through the grass. Gilgamesh listened to the word of his companion. He took the axe in his hand, he drew the sword from his belt, and he struck Humbaba with the thrust of the sword to the neck, and Enkidu, his comrade, struck the second blow. At the third blow, Humbaba fell. Then there followed confusion, for this was the guardian of the forest, whom they had felled to the ground. For as far as two leagues the cedars shivered. When Enkidu felled the watcher of the forest, he at whose voice Hermon and Lebanon used to tremble. Now the mountains were moved and all the hills, for the guardian of the forest was killed. They attacked the cedars, the seven splendours of Humbaba were extinguished. So they pressed on to the forest, bearing the sword of eight talents. They uncovered the sacred dwellings of the Anunnaki, and while Gilgamesh felled the first of the trees of the forest, Enkidu cleared the roots as far as the banks of the Euphrates. They set Humbaba before the gods, before Enlil. They kissed the ground and dropped the shroud and set the head before him. When he saw the head of Humbaba, Enlil raged at them. Why did you do this thing? From henceforth may the fire be on your faces. May it eat the bread that you eat, may it drink where you drink. Then Enlil took again the blaze and the seven splendours that had been Humbaba's. He gave the first to the river, and he gave to the lion, to the stone of execration, to the mountain and to the dreaded daughter of the Queen of Hell. O Gilgamesh, king and conqueror of the dreadful blaze, wild bull who plunders the mountain, who crosses the sea, glory to him, and from the brave the greater glory is Enki's. 3. Ishtar and Gilgamesh, and the death of Enkidu. Gilgamesh washed out his long locks and cleaned his weapons. He flung his hair back from his shoulders. He threw off his stained clothes and changed them for new. He put on his royal robes and made them fast. When Gilgamesh had put on the crown, glorious Ishtar lifted her eyes, seeing the beauty of Gilgamesh. She said, Come to me, Gilgamesh, and be my bridegroom. Grant me the seed of your body. Let me be your bride, and you shall be my husband. I will harness for you a chariot of lapis lazuli and of gold, and with wheels of gold and horns of copper, and you shall have mighty demons of the storm for draught mules. When you enter our house in the fragrance of cedarwood, threshold and throne will kiss your feet. Kings, rulers and princes will bow down before you. They shall bring you tribute from the mountains and the plain. Your ewes shall drop twins and your goats triplets. Your pack ass shall outrun mules, your oxen shall have no rivals, 
and your chariot horses shall be famous far off for their swiftness. Gilgamesh opened his mouth, and glorious Ishtar, If I take you in marriage, what gifts can I give in return? What ointments and clothing for your body? I would gladly give you bread, and all sorts of food fit for a god. I would give you wine to drink, fit for a queen. I would pour out barley to stuff your granary. But as for making you my wife, that I will not. How would it go with me? Your lovers have found you like a brazier which smoulders in the cold, a backdoor which neither keeps out a squall of wind nor storm, a castle which crushes the garrison, pitch that blackens the bearer, a water-skin that chafes the carrier, a stone which falls from the parapet, a battering ram turned back from the enemy, a sandal that trips the wearer. Which of your lovers did you ever love for ever? What shepherd of yours has pleased you for all time? Listen to me while I tell the tale of your lovers. There was Tammuz, the lover of your youth. For him you decreed wailing, year after year. You loved the many-coloured roller, but still you struck and broke his wing. Now in the grove he sits and cries, Cappy, Cappy, my wing, my wing. You have loved the lion, tremendous in strength. Seven pits you dug for him, and seven. You loved the magnificent stallion, in battle, and for him you decreed the whip and spur and a thong, to gallop seven leagues by force and to muddy the water before he drinks, and for his mother, Sillily, lamentations. You have loved the shepherd of the flock. He made meal cake for you day after day. He killed kids for your sake. You struck and turned him into a wolf. Now his own herd boys chase him away. His own hounds worry his flanks. And did you not love Ishalanu, the gardener of your father's palm grove? He brought you baskets filled with dates without end. Every day he loaded your table. And you turned your eyes on him and said, Dearest Ishalanu, come here, let's enjoy your manhood. Come forward and take me, I am yours. Ishalanu answered, What are you asking from me? My mother has baked and I have eaten. Why should I come to such as you for food that is tainted and rotten? For when was a screen of rushes sufficient protection from frosts? But when you had heard this answer, you struck him. He was changed to a blind mole deep in the earth, one whose desire is always beyond reach. And if you and I should be lovers, should not I be served in the same fashion as all of these others whom you have once loved? When Ishtar heard this, she fell into a bitter rage. She went up into high heaven. Her tears poured down in front of her father Anu and Antum, her mother. She said, Father, Gilgamesh has heaped insults on me. He has told all over my abominable behaviour, my foul and hideous acts. Anu opened his mouth and said, Are you a father of gods? Did you not quarrel with Gilgamesh the king? So now he has related your abominable behaviour, your foul and hideous acts? Ishtar opened her mouth and said again, My father, give me the bull of heaven to destroy Gilgamesh. Fill Gilgamesh, I say, with arrogance to his destruction. But if you refuse to give me the bull of heaven, I will break in the doors of hell and smash the bolts, and there will be confusion of people, those above with those from the lower depths. I shall bring up the dead to eat the food like the living and the hosts of the dead will outnumber the living. Anu said to great Ishtar, If I do what you desire there, there will be seven years of drought throughout Uruk, when corn will be seedless husks. 
Have you saved grain enough for the people and grass for the cattle? Ishtar replied, I have saved grain for the people and grass for the cattle. For seven years of seedless husks, there is grain and grass enough. When Anu heard what Ishtar had said, he gave her the bull of heaven to lead by the halter down to Uruk. When they reached the gates of Uruk, the bull went into the river, and with his first snort, cracks opened in the earth, and a hundred young men fell down to death. With his second snort, cracks opened and two hundred fell down to death. And with his third snort, cracks opened. Enkidu doubled over, but instantly recovered. He dodged aside and leapt on the bull, and seized it by the horns. The bull of heaven foamed in his face. It brushed him with the thick of its tail. Enkidu cried to Gilgamesh, My friend, we boasted that we would leave enduring names behind us. Now thrust your sword between the nape and the horns. So Gilgamesh followed the bull. He seized the thick of its tail. He thrust the sword between the nape and the horns and slew the bull. When they had killed the bull of heaven, they cut out its heart and gave it to Shamash, and the brothers rested. But Ishtar rose tip and mounted the great wall of Uruk. She sprang on the tower and uttered a curse. Woe to Gilgamesh, for he has scorned me in killing the bull of heaven. When Enkidu heard these words, he tore out the bull's right thigh and tossed it in her face, saying, If I could lay my hands on you, it is this I should do to you, and lash the entrails to your side. When Ishtar called together her people, the dancing and singing girls, the prostitutes of the temple, the courtesans, over the thigh of the bull of heaven, she set up lamentation. But Gilgamesh called the smiths and the armourers, all of them together. They admired the immensity of the horns. They were plated with lapis lazuli, two fingers thick. They were thirty pounds each in weight, and their capacity in oil was six measures, which he gave to his guardian god, Lugalbanda. But he carried the horns into the palace and hung them on the wall. There they washed their hands in the Euphrates. They embraced each other and went away. They drove through the streets of Uruk, where the heroes were gathered to see them. And Gilgamesh called to the singing girls, Who is most glorious of the heroes? Who is the most eminent among men? Gilgamesh is the most glorious of heroes. Gilgamesh is the most eminent among men. And now there was feasting, and celebrations, and joy in the palace, till the heroes lay down, saying, Now we will rest for the night. When the daylight came, Enkidu got up and cried to Gilgamesh, Oh, my brother, such a dream I had last night. Anu, Enlil, Ea, and Heavenly Shamash took counsel together, and Anu said to Enlil, Because they have killed the Bull of Heaven, and because they have killed Humbaba, who guarded the Cedar Mountain, one of the two must die. Then glorious Shamash answered the hero Enlil, It was by your command that they killed the Bull of Heaven, and killed Humbaba, and must Enkidu die, although innocent? Enlil flung around in rage at glorious Shamash. You dare to say this, you who went about them every day like one of themselves. So Enkidu lay stretched out before Gilgamesh. His tears ran down in streams, and he said to Gilgamesh, O oh my brother, so dear as you are to me, brother, yet they will take me from you. Again he said, I must sit down on the threshold of the dead, and never again will I see my dear brother with my eyes.
While Enkidu lay alone in his sickness, he cursed the gate as though it were living flesh. You there, wood of the gate, dull and insensible, witless, I searched for you over twenty leagues until I saw the towering cedar. There is no wood like you in our land, seventy-two cubits high and twenty-four wide. The pivot and the ferrule and the jams are perfect. A master craftsman from Nippur has made you, but oh, if I had known the conclusion, if I had known that this was all the good that would come of it, I would have raised the axe and split you into little pieces, and set up here a gate of wattle instead. Ah, if only some future king had brought you here, or some god had fashioned you, let him obliterate my name, and write his own, and curse the fall on him instead of Enkidu. With the brightening of the dawn, Enkidu raised his head and wept before the sun god. In the brilliance of the sunlight, his tears streamed down. Sun god, I beseech you, about that vile trapper, that trapper of nothing, because of whom I was to catch less than my comrade. Let him catch least, make his game scarce, make him feeble. Taking the smaller of every share, let his quarry escape from the nets. When he had cursed the trapper to his heart's content, he turned on the harlot. He was roused to curse her also. As for you, woman, with a great curse, I curse you. I will promise you a destiny to all eternity. My curse shall come upon you soon and sudden, for you shall be without a roof for your commerce, for you shall not keep house with other girls in the tavern, but do your business in places fouled by the vomit of the drunkard. Your hire will be the potter's earth, your thievings will be flung into the hovel, you will sit at the crossroads in the dust of the potter's quarter, you will make your bed on the dunghill at night, and by day take your stand in the wall's shadow. Brambles and thorns will tear at your feet, the drunk and the dry will strike your cheek, and your mouth will ache. Let you be stripped of your purple dyes, for I too once in the wilderness with my wife had all of the treasure I wished. When Shamash heard these words of Enkidu, he called to him from heaven, Enkidu, why are you cursing the woman, the mistress who taught you to eat bread fit for gods, and drink wine of kings? She who put upon you a magnificent garment, did she not give you the glorious Gilgamesh for your companion, and has not Gilgamesh, your own brother, made you rest on a royal bed, and recline on a couch at his left hand? He has made the princes of the earth kiss your feet, and now all the people of Uruk lament and wail over you. When you are dead, he will let his hair grow long for your sake. He will wear a lion's pelt and wander through the desert. When Enkidu heard glorious Shamash, his angry heart grew quiet. He called back the curse and said, Woman, I promise you another destiny. The mouth which cursed you shall bless you. Kings, princes and nobles shall adore you. On your account, a man, though twelve miles off, will clap his hand to his thigh, and his hair will twitch. For you he will undo his belt and open his treasure, and you shall have your desire, lapis lazuli, gold, and carnelian, from the heap in the treasury. A ring for your hand and a robe shall be yours. The priest will lead you into the presence of the gods. On your account, a wife, a mother of seven, was forsaken. As Enkidu slept alone in his sickness, in bitterness of spirit, he poured his heart out to his friend. 
It was I who cut down the cedar, who levelled the forest, who slew Humbaba, and now see what has become of me. Listen, my friend, this is the dream I dreamed last night. The heavens roared and the earth rumbled back in answer. Between them stood I before an awful being, a sombre-faced man-bird. He had directed me on his purpose. His was a vampire face, his foot was a lion's foot, and his hand was an eagle's talon. He fell on me, and his claws were in my hair. He held me fast, and I smothered. He then transformed me, so that my arms became wings covered with feathers. He turned his stare towards me, and he led me away to the palace of Urkala, the Queen of Darkness, to the house from which none who enters ever returns, down the road from which there is no coming back. There is the house whose people sit in darkness. Dust is their food and clay their meat. They are clothed like birds. With wings for covering, they see no light. They sit in darkness. I entered the house of dust, and I saw the kings of the earth put their crowns away forever. Rulers and princes, all those who once wore kingly crowns and ruled the earth in the days of old. They who stood in the place of gods like Anu and Enlil, stood now like servants to fetch baked meat in the house of dust, to carry cooked meat and cold water from the water skin. In the house of dust, which I entered, were high priests and acolytes, priests of the incantation and of ecstasy, and there were servers of the temple, and there was Etana, that king of Dish, whom the eagle carried to heaven in the days of old. I also saw Samukuan, god of cattle, and there was Ereshkigal, the queen of the underworld, and Befit Shiri squatted in front of her, she who is recorder of the gods and keeps the book of death. She held a tablet from which she read. She raised her head and she saw me and spoke. Who has brought this one here? Then I awoke like a man drained of blood who wanders alone in a waste of rashes, like one whom the bailiff has seized and his heart pounds with terror. Gilgamesh peeled off his clothes as he listened to his words and wept quick tears. Gilgamesh listened and his tears flowed. He opened his mouth and spoke to Enkidu. Who is there in strong world or rook who has wisdom like this? Strange things have been spoken. Why does your heart speak so strangely? The dream was marvellous, but the terror was great. We must treasure the dream, whatever the terror, for the dream has shown that misery comes at last to the healthy man, and the end of life is sorrow. And Gilgamesh lamented. Now I will pray to the great gods, for my friend had an ominous dream. This day on which Enkidu dreamed came to an end, and he lay stricken with sickness. One whole day he lay on his bed, and his suffering increased. He said to Gilgamesh, the friend on whose account he had left the wilderness, Once I ran for you, for the water of life, and now I have nothing. A second day he lay on his bed, and Gilgamesh watched over him, but the sickness increased. A third day he lay on his bed. He called out to Gilgamesh, rousing him up. Now he was weak, and his eyes were blind with weeping. Ten days he lay, and his suffering increased. Eleven and twelve days he lay, on his bed of pain. Then he called to Gilgamesh, My friend, the great goddess cursed me, and I must die in shame. I shall not die like a man fallen in battle. 
I feared to fall, but happy is the man who falls in battle, for I must die in shame. And Gilgamesh wept over Enkidu. With the first light of dawn, he raised his voice and said to the councillors of Uruk, Hear me, great ones of Uruk. I weep for Enkidu, my friend. Bitterly moaning like a woman mourning, I weep for my brother. O Enkidu, my brother, you are the axe at my side, my hand's strength, the sword in my belt, the shield before me, a glorious robe, my fairest ornament, an evil fate has robbed me. The wild Uruk weep for you. Let the finger of blessing be stretched out in mourning. Enkidu, young brother, hark, there is an echo through all the country, like a mother mourning. Weep all the paths where we walked together. And the beasts we hunted, the bear and the hyena, the tiger and panther, the leopard and lion, the stag and the ibex, the bull and the doe, the river along whose banks we used to walk, weeps for you. Ula of Elam, and dear Euphrates, where once we drew water for water-skins, the mountains we climbed where we slew the watchman, weeps for you. The warriors of strong-walled Uruk, where the bull of heaven was killed, weep for you. All the people of Eridu, weep for you, Enkidu. Those who brought grain for your eating, mourn for you now. Who rubbed oil on your back, mourn for you now. Who poured beer for your drinking, mourn for you now. The harlots who anointed you with fragrant ointment laments for you now. The women of the palace who brought you a wife, a chosen ring of good advice, lament for you now. And the young men, your brothers, as though they were women, go long-haired in mourning. What is this sleep which holds you now? You are lost in the dark and cannot hear me. He touched his heart, but it did not beat nor did he lift his eyes again. When Gilgamesh touched his heart, it did not beat. So Gilgamesh laid a veil, as one veils a bride, over his friend. He began to rage like a lion, like a lioness robbed of her whelps. This way and that he paced around the bed, he tore out his hair and strewed it about. He dragged off his splendid robes and flung them down as if they were abominations. In the first light of dawn, Gilgamesh cried out, I made you rest on a royal bed. You reclined on a couch at my left hand, and the princes of the earth kissed your feet. I will cause all of the people of Uruk to weep over you, and raise the dirge of the dead. The joyful people will stoop with sorrow, and when you have gone to the earth, I will let my hair grow long for your sake. I will wander through the wilderness in the skin of a lion. The next day also, in the first light, Gilgamesh lamented, Seven days and seven nights he wept for Enkidu, until the worm fastened on him. Only then he gave him up to the earth, for the Anunnaki, the judges, had seized him. Then Gilgamesh issued a proclamation throughout the land. He summoned them all, the coppersmiths, the goldsmiths, the stoneworkers, and commanded them, Make a statue of my friend. The statue was fashioned with a great weight of lapis lazuli, for the breast, and of gold for the body. A table of hardwood was set out, and on it a bowl of carnelian filled with honey, and a bowl of lapis lazuli filled with butter. 
he exposed and offered to the sun, weeping as he went away. 4. The Search for Everlasting Life Bitterly, Gilgamesh wept for his friend Enkidu. He wandered over the wilderness as a hunter. He roamed over the plains. In his bitterness he cried, How can I rest? How can I be at peace? Despair is in my heart. What my brother is now, I shall be when I am dead. Because I am afraid of death, I will go as best I can to find Utnapshishim, whom they call the far away, for he has entered the assemblies of the gods. So Gilgamesh travelled over the wilderness. He wandered over grasslands on a long journey, in search of Utnapshishim, whom the gods took after the deluge, and they set him to live in the land of Dilmun, in the garden of the sun. And to him alone of men they gave everlasting life. At night when he came to the mountain passes, Gilgamesh prayed. In these mountain passes long ago I saw lions. I was afraid. I lifted my eyes to the moon. I prayed. And my prayers went up to the gods. So now, O moon, God's sin, protect me. When he had prayed, he lay down to sleep until he was awoken out of a dream. He saw the lions round him glorifying in life. And he took his axe in his hand, he drew his sword from his belt, and he fell upon them like an arrow from the string, and struck and destroyed and scattered them. So at length Gilgamesh came to Mashu, the great mountains about which he had heard many things, which guard the rising and the setting sun. Its twin peaks are as high as the wall of heaven, and its paps reach down into the underworld. At its gates scorpions stand guard, half man, half dragon. Their glory is terrifying. Their stare strikes death into men, and shimmering halo sweeps the mountains that guard the rising sun. When Gilgamesh saw them, he shielded his eyes for the length of a moment only. Then he took courage and approached. When they saw him so undismayed, the man-scorpion called to his mate, This one who comes to us now is flesh of the gods. The mate of the man-scorpion answered, Two-thirds is God, but one-third is man. Then he called to the man Gilgamesh. <clears throat> then he called to the man Gilgamesh. He called to the child of the gods. Why have you come so great a journey? For what have you travelled so far, crossing dangerous waters? Tell me the reason for your coming. Gilgamesh answered, For Enkidu. I loved him dearly. Together we endured all kinds of hardships. On his account... I have come, for the common lot of man has taken him. I have wept for him day and night. I would not give up his body for burial. I thought my friend would come back because of my weeping. Since he went, my life is nothing. That is why I have travelled here, in search of Utnapishtim, my father. For men say he has entered the assembly of the gods and has found everlasting life. I have a desire to question him concerning the living and the dead. The man-scorpion opened his mouth and said, speaking to Gilgamesh, No man born of woman has done what you have asked. No mortal man has gone to the mountain. The length of it is twelve leagues of darkness. In it there is no light, but the heart is oppressed with darkness. From the rising of the sun to the setting of the sun, there is no light. Gilgamesh said, Although I should go in sorrow and in pain, with sighing and with weeping, still I must go. Open the gate of the mountain. And the man-scorpion said, Go, Gilgamesh. I permit you to pass through the mountain of Mashu, 
and through the high ranges may your feet carry you safely home. The gate of the mountain is open. When Gilgamesh heard this, he did as the man scorpion had said. He followed the sun's road to his rising, through the mountain. When he had gone one league, the darkness became thick around him, for there was no light. He could see nothing ahead and nothing behind him. After two leagues, the darkness was thick and there was no light. He could see nothing ahead and nothing behind him. After three leagues, the darkness was thick and there was no light. He could see nothing ahead and nothing behind him. After four leagues, the darkness was thick and there was no light. He could see nothing ahead and nothing behind him. At the end of five leagues, the darkness was thick and there was no light. He could see nothing ahead and nothing behind him. At the end of six leagues, the darkness was thick and there was no light. He could see nothing ahead and nothing behind him. When he had gone seven leagues, the darkness was thick and there was no light. He could see nothing ahead and nothing behind him. When he had gone eight leagues, Gilgamesh gave a great cry, for the darkness was thick and he could see nothing ahead and nothing behind him. After nine leagues, he felt the north wind on his face, but the darkness was thick and there was no light. He could see nothing ahead and nothing behind him. After ten leagues, the end was near. After eleven leagues, the dawn light appeared. At the end of twelve leagues, the sun streamed out. There was the garden of the gods. All round him stood bushes bearing gems. Seeing it, he went down at once, for there was fruit of carnelian with the vine hanging from it, beautiful to look at. Lapis lazuli leaves hung thick with fruit, sweet to see. For thorns and thistles there were hematite and rare stones, agate and pearls from out of the sea. While Gilgamesh walked in the garden by the edge of the sea, Shamash saw him, and he saw that he was dressed in the skins of animals and ate their flesh. He was distressed, and he spoke, and said, No mortal man has gone this way before, nor will, as long as the winds drive over the sea. And to Gilgamesh he said, You will never find the life for which you are searching. Gilgamesh said to glorious Shamash, Now that I have toiled and strayed so far over the wilderness, am I to sleep and let the earth cover my head forever? Let my eyes see the sun, until they are dazzled with looking. Although I am no better than a dead man, still let me see the light of the sun. Beside the sea she lives, the woman of the vine, the maker of wine. Siduri sits in the garden at the edge of the sea, with the golden bowl and the golden vats that the gods gave her. She is covered with a veil, and where she sits she sees Gilgamesh coming towards her, wearing skins, the flesh of the gods in his body, but despair in his heart his face like the face of one who has made a long journey. She looked as she scanned the distance. She said in her own heart, Surely this is some felon. Where is he going now? And she barred the gate against him with a crossbar and shot home the bolt. But Gilgamesh, hearing the sound of the bolt, threw up his head, dislodged his foot in the gate, and he called to her, Young woman, maker of wine, why do you bolt your door? What did you see that made you bar your gate? I will break in your door and burst in your gate, for I am Gilgamesh, who seized and killed the bull of heaven. I killed the watchman of the cedar forest, I overthrew Humbaba, who lived in the forest, and I killed the lions of the passes of the mountain. Then Siduri said to him, 
If you are that Gilgamesh who seized and killed the Bull of Heaven, who killed the Watchman of the Cedar Forest, who overthrew Humbaba that lived in the forest, and killed the lions of the passes of the mountain, why are your cheeks so starved, and your, why is your face so drawn? Why is despair in your heart, and your face like one of the face of one who has made a long journey? Yes, why is your face burned from heat and cold? Why do you come here wandering over the pastures in search of the wind? Gilgamesh answered her, And why should not my cheeks be starved and my face drawn? Despair is in my heart and my face is the face of one who has made a long journey. It was burned with heat and with cold. Why should I not wander over the pastures in search of the wind? My friend, my younger brother, he who hunted the wild ass of the wilderness and the panther of the plains, nay friend, my younger brother, who seized and killed the bull of heaven and overthrew Humbaba in the cedar forest, my friend who was very dear to me, and who endured dangers beside me, Enkidu, my brother, whom I loved, the end of mortality has overtaken him. I wept for him for seven days and nights, till the worm fastened on him. Because of my brother, I am afraid of death. Because of my brother, I stray through the wilderness and cannot rest. But now, young woman, maker of wine, since I have seen your face, do not let me see the face of death, which I dread so much. She answered, Gilgamesh, where are you hurrying to? You will never find that life for which you are looking. When the gods created man, they allotted to him death, but life they retained for their own keeping. As for you, Gilgamesh, fill your belly with good things, day and night, night and day. Dance and be merry, feast and rejoice. Let your clothes be fresh, bathe yourself in water, cherish the little child that holds your hand, and make your wife happy in your embrace. This too is the lot of man. But Gilgamesh said to Siduri, the young woman, How can I be silent? How can I rest? When Enkidu, whom I love, is dust, and I too shall die and be laid in the earth. You live by the seashore, and look into the heart of it, young woman. Tell me now, which is the way to Utnapishtim, the son of Ubaratutu? What directions are there for passage? Give me, oh give me directions. I will cross the ocean if it's possible. If it is not, I will wander still farther in the wilderness. The winemaker said to him, Gilgamesh, there is no crossing the ocean. Whoever has come since the days of old has not been able to pass that sea. The sun in his glory crosses the ocean, but who besides Shamash has ever crossed it? The place and the passage are difficult, and the waters of death are deep, which flow between. Gilgamesh, how will you cross the ocean? When you have come to the waters of death, what will you do? But Gilgamesh, down in the woods you will find Urshanabi, the ferryman of Utnapishtim. With him are the holy things, the things of stone. He is fashioning the serpent prow of the boat. Look at him well, and if it's possible, perhaps you will cross the waters with him. But if it's not possible, then you must go back. When Gilgamesh heard this, he was seized with anger. He took his axe in his hand, his dagger from his belt. He crept forward, and he fell on them like a javelin. Then he went into the forest and sat down. Urshanabi saw the dagger flash and heard the axe, and he beat his head, for Gilgamesh had shattered the tackle of the boat in his rage. Urshanabi said to him, Tell me, what is your name? I am Urshanabi, the ferryman of Utnapishtim, the far away. He replied to him, Gilgamesh is my name, I am from Uruk from the house of Anu. 
Then Urshanabi said to him, Why are your cheeks so starved and your face drawn? Why is despair in your heart and your face like the face of one who has made a long journey? Yes, why is your face burned with heat and with cold? And why do you come here wandering over the pastures in search of the wind? Gilgamesh said to him, Why should my cheeks not be starved and my face drawn? Despair is in my heart and my face is the face of the one who has made a long journey. I was burned with heat and cold. Why should I not wander over the pastures? My friend, my younger brother, who seized and killed the bull of heaven and overthrew Humbaba in the cedar forest, my friend who was very dear to me, who endured dangers beside me, Enkidu, my brother whom I loved, the end of mortality has overtaken him. I wept for him for seven days and nights until the worm fastened on him. Because of my brother, I am afraid of death. Because of my brother, I stray through the wilderness. His fate lies heavy upon me. How can I be silent? How can I rest? He is dust, and I too shall die, and be laid in the earth forever. I am afraid of death. Therefore, Urshanabi, tell me, which is the road to Utnapishtim? If it is possible, I will cross the waters of death. If not, I will wander still farther through the wilderness. Urshanabi said to him, Gilgamesh, your own hands have prevented you from crossing the ocean. When you destroyed the tackle of the boat, you destroyed its safety. Then the two of them talked it over and Gilgamesh said, Why are you so angry with me, Urshanabi? For you yourself cross the sea by day and night. All of the seasons you cross it. Gilgamesh, those things you destroyed, their property is to carry me over the water, to prevent the waters of death from touching me. It was for that reason that I preserved them, but you have destroyed them, and the Urnu snakes with them. But now go into the forest, Gilgamesh, with your axe cut poles, 120, cut them 60 cubits long, paint them with bitumen, set them on ferules, and bring them back. When Gilgamesh heard this, he went into the forest. He cut poles 120, he cut them 60 cubits long, and he painted them with bitumen. He set them on ferules, and he brought them to Urshanabi. Then they boarded the boat, Gilgamesh and Urshanabi together, launching it out on the waves of the ocean. For three days they ran on it, as were a journey of a month and fifteen days, and at last Urshanabi brought the boats to the waters of death. Then Urshanabi said to Gilgamesh, Press on, take a long pole and thrust it in, but do not let your hands touch the waters. Gilgamesh, take a second pole, take a third, take a fourth pole. Now Gilgamesh, take a fifth, take a sixth and seventh pole. Gilgamesh, take an eighth and a ninth and a tenth pole. Gilgamesh, take an eleventh, take a twelfth pole. After 120 thrusts, Gilgamesh had used the last pole. Then he stripped himself, held his arms up for a mast, and cut his covering for a sail, so that Urshanabi the ferryman brought Gilgamesh to Utnapishtim, whom they call the Far Away, who lives in Dilmun, at the place of the sun's transit, eastward of the mountain. To him alone of men the gods had given everlasting life. Now Utnapishtim, where he lay at ease, looked into the distance, and he said in his heart, musing to himself, Why does the boat sail here without tackle and mast? Why are the sacred stones destroyed, and why does the master not sail the boat? The man who comes is none of mine. Where I look, I see a man whose body is covered with the skins of beasts. Who is this who walks up the shore, behind Urshanabi? For surely he is no man of mine. 
So Utnapishtim looked at him and said, What is your name, you who come here wearing the skins of beasts, with your cheeks starved and your face drawn? Where are you hurrying to now? For what reason have you made this great journey, crossing the seas whose passage is difficult? Tell me the reason for your coming. He replied, Gilgamesh is my name. I am from Uruk, from the house of Anu. Then Utnapishtim said to him, If you are Gilgamesh, why are your cheeks so starved and your face drawn? Why is despair in your heart and your face like the face of one who has made a long journey? Yes, why is your face burned with heat and cold? Why do you come here wandering over the wilderness in search of the wind? Gilgamesh said to him, Why should my cheeks not be starved and my face drawn? Despair is in my heart and my face is the face of one who has made a long journey. It was burned with heat and cold. Why should I not wander over the pastures? My friend, my younger brother, who seized and killed the bull of heaven and overthrew Humbaba in the cedar forest, my friend who was very dear to me and endured dangers beside me, Enkidu, my brother whom I loved, the end of mortality has overtaken him. I wept for seven days and nights until the worm fastened on him. Because of my brother, I am afraid of death. Because of my brother, I stray through the wilderness. His fate lies heavy upon me. How can I be silent? How can I rest? He is dust, and I shall die also, and be laid in the earth forever. Again Gilgamesh said, speaking to Utnapishtim, It is to see Utnapishtim, whom we call the far away, that I have come on this journey. For this I have wandered the whole world. I have crossed many difficult ranges. I have crossed the seas. I have wearied myself with travelling. My joints are aching. I have lost acquaintance with sleep, which is sweet. My clothes were worn out before I came to the house of Suduri. I have killed the bear, the hyena, the lion and the panther, the tiger, the stag, the ibex, all sorts of wild game, and the small creatures of the pastures. I ate their flesh and wore their skin. And that is how I came to the gate of the young woman, the maker of wine, who barred her gate of pitch and bitumen against me. But from her I had news of the journey. So I came to Ushanabi, the ferryman, and with him I crossed over the waters of death. O father Utnapishtim, you who have entered the assembly of the gods, I wish to question you concerning the living and the dead. How shall I find the life for which I am searching? Utnapishtim said, there is no permanence. Do we build a house to stand forever? Do we seal a contract to hold for all time? Do brothers divide an inheritance to keep forever? Does the flood time of rivers endure? It is only the nymph of the dragonfly who sheds her lava and sees the sun in his glory. From the days of old there is no permanence. The sleeping and the dead, how alike they are, they are painted with death. What is there between the master and the servant when both have fulfilled their doom? When the Anunnaki, the judges, come together and Mamerton, the mother of destinies, together they decree the fates of men. Life and death they allot, but the day of death they do not disclose. Then Gilgamesh said to Utnapishtim the far away, I look at you now, Utnapishtim, and your appearance is no different than mine. There is nothing strange in your features. I thought I should find you like a hero prepared for battle. But here you are taking ease on your back. Tell me truly, how was it that you came to enter the company of the gods and to possess everlasting life? Utnapishtim said to Gilgamesh, I will reveal to you a mystery. I will tell you a secret of the gods. 5. The Story of the Flood 
You know the city Shurupak, and it stands on the banks of the Euphrates? That city grew old, and the gods that were in it were old. There was Anu, lord of the firmament, their father, and warrior Enlil, their counsellor, and Inerta, the helper, and Enugi, the watcher over canals, and also with them was Ea. In those days the world teemed, the people multiplied, and the world bellowed like a wild bull, and the great god was aroused by the clamour. Enlil heard the clamour, and he said to the gods in the council, The uproar of mankind is intolerable, and sleep is no longer possible by reason of the babble. So the gods agreed to exterminate mankind. Enlil did this, but Ea, because of his oath, warned me in a dream. He whispered their words to my house of reeds. Reed house, reed house, O wall. Hearken, reed house. Wall reflect, O man of Shurupak, son of Ubartutu. Tear down your house and build a boat. Abandon possessions and look for life. Despise worldly goods and save your soul alive. Tear down your house, I say, and build a boat. These are the measurements of the bark. As you shall build her. Let hex beam equal her length. Let her deck be roofed like the vault that covers the abyss. Then take up to the boat the seed of all living creatures. When I had understood, I said to my lord, Behold, what you have commanded I will honour and perform. But how shall I answer the people, the city, the elders? Then Ea opened his mouth and said to me, his servant, Tell them this, I have learnt that Enlil is wrathful against me. I dare no longer walk in his land nor live in his city. I will go down to the gulf to dwell with Ea, my lord. But on you he will rain down abundance, rare fish and shy wildfowl, and a rich harvest tide. In the evening the rider of the storm will bring you wheat in torrents. In the first light of dawn all my household gathered around me. The children brought pitch and the men whatever was necessary. On the fifth day I laid the keel and the ribs, and then I made fast the planking. The ground space was one acre. Each side of the deck measured 120 cubits, making a square. I built six decks below, seven in all. I divided them into nine sections, with bulkheads between. I drove in wedges where needed. I saw to the punt poles and laid in supplies. The carriers brought oil in baskets. I poured pitch into the furnace and asphalt and oil. More oil was consumed in the caulking, and again the master of the boats took to into his stores. I slaughtered bullocks for the people, and every day I killed sheep. I gave to the shipwrights wine to drink, although it were river water, raw wine and red wine and oil and white wine. There was feasting as then, as there is at the time of the New Year's festival. I anointed my head. On the seventh day the boat was complete. Then was the launching, full of difficulty. There was a shifting of ballast above and below, until two-thirds was submerged. I loaded into her all that I had, of gold and of living things, my family, my kin, the beast of the field, both wild and tame, all the craftsmen. I sent them on board, for the time that Shamash had ordained was already fulfilled. When he said, In the evening, when the rider of the storm sends down the destroying rain, enter the boat and batten her down. The time was fulfilled, the evening came. The rider of the storm sent down the rain. I looked out at the weather, and it was terrible. So I too boarded the boat and battened her down. All was now complete, the battening and caulking. So I handed the tiller to Pazur Amuri, the steersman, with the navigation and the care of the whole boat. With the first light of dawn, a black cloud came upon the horizon. 
It thundered within where Adad, Lord of the Storm, was rising. In front of the hill and plain, Shalat and Hanish, heralds of the storm, led on. Then the gods of the abyss rose up. Nergal pulled out the dams of the nether waters. Ninurta, the warlord, threw down the dikes, and the seven judges of hell, the Anunnaki, raised their torches, lighting the land with their livid flame. A stupor of despair went up to heaven, and where the god of the storm turned the daylight to darkness, when he smashed the land like a cup, one whole day the tempest raged, gathering fury as it went. It poured over the people, like the tides of battle. A man could not see his brother, nor could the people be seen from heaven. Even the gods were terrified at the flood. They fled to the highest heaven, the firmament of Anu. They crouched against the walls, cowering like curs. Then Ishtar, the sweet-voiced queen of heaven, cried out like a woman in travail. Alas, the days of old are turned to dust, because I commanded evil. Why did I command thus evil, in counsel of all the gods? I commanded wars to destroy the people, but they are not my people, for I brought them forth. Now like the spawn of fish they float in the ocean. The great gods of heaven and hell wept. They covered their mouths. For six days and six nights the wind blew. Torrent and tempest and flood overwhelmed the world. Tempest and flood raged together like warring hosts. When the seventh day dawned, the storm from the south subsided, and the sea grew calm, and the flood was stilled. I looked into the face of the world, and there was silence. All mankind was turned to clay. The surface of the sea stretched flat as a rooftop. I opened a hatch, and light fell on my face. Then I bowed low, I sat down, and I wept. The tears streamed down my face, for on every side was the waste of water. I looked for land in vain. But fourteen leagues distant there appeared a mountain, and there the boat grounded. On the mountain of Nicaea the boat held fast. She held fast, but did not budge. One day she held, a second day on the mountain of Nicaea she held fast and did not budge. A third day and a fourth day she held fast on the mountain and did not budge. A fifth day, a sixth day she held fast on the mountain. When the seventh day dawned, I loosed a dove and let her go. She flew away, but finding no resting place, she returned. Then I loosed a swallow, and she flew away, but finding no resting place, she returned. I loosed a raven. She saw that the waters had retreated. She ate and flew around, she cawed, and she did not come back. Then I threw everything open to the four winds. I made a sacrifice, and poured out a libation on the mountain top. Seven and again seven cauldrons I set up on their stands. I heaped up wood like cane and cedar and myrtle. When the gods smelled the sweet savour, they gathered like flies over the sacrifice. Then at last Ishtar also came. She lifted her necklace with the jewels of heaven, that once Anu had made to please her. O oh, you gods of presence, by the lapis lazuli around my neck, I shall remember these days as I remember the jewels of my throat. These last days I shall not forget. Let all the gods gather round the sacrifice, except Enlil. He shall not approach this offering, for without reflection he brought the flood. He consigned my people to destruction. When Enlil had come, when he saw the boat, he was wrath and swelled with anger at the gods, the host of heaven. Has any of these mortals escaped? Not one was to have survived the destruction. Then the god of wells and canals, Ninurta, opened his mouth and said to the warrior Enlil, Who is there in the gods that can devise without ear? It is ear alone who knows all things. 
Then Ear opened his mouth and spoke to the warrior Enlil. Wisest of gods, hero Enlil, how could you so senselessly bring down the flood? Lay upon the sinner his sin, lay upon the transgressor his transgression. Punish him a little when he breaks loose. Do not drive him too hard, or he perishes. Would that a lion had ravaged mankind, rather than the flood. Would that a wolf had ravaged mankind, rather than the flood. Would that a famine had wasted the world, rather than the flood. Would that pestilence had wasted mankind, rather than the flood. It was not I that revealed the secrets of the gods. The wise man learned it in a dream. Now take your counsel, and what shall be done with him? Then Enlil went up to the boat. He took me by the hand, and my wife made us enter the boat and kneel down on either side, he standing between us. He touched our foreheads to bless us, saying, In time past, Utnapishtim was a mortal man. Henceforth he and his wife shall live in the distance at the mouth of the rivers. Thus it was the gods took me and placed me here to live in the distance at the mouth of the rivers. 6. The Return Utnapishtim said, As for you, Gilgamesh, who will assemble the gods for your sake, so that you may find a life for which you are searching? But if you wish, come and put it to the test. Only prevail against sleep for six days and seven nights. But while Gilgamesh sat there resting on his haunches, a mist of sleep, like soft wool, teased from the fleece, drifted over him. And Utnapishtim said to his wife, Look at him now, the strong man who would have everlasting life. Even now the mists of sleep are drifting over him. His wife replied, Touch the man to wake him, so that he may return to his own land in peace, going back through the gate by which he came. Utnapishtim said to his wife, All men are deceivers. Even you he will attempt to deceive. Therefore bake loaves of bread, each day one loaf, and put it beside his head, and make a mark on the wall for the number of days that he has slept. So she baked loaves of bread, each day one loaf, and put it beside his head, and she marked on the wall the days that he had slept. And there came a day when the first loaf was hard, the second loaf was like leather, the third was soggy, the crust of the fourth had mould, and the fifth was mildewed, the sixth was fresh, and the seventh was still on the embers. Then Utnapishtim touched him, and he woke. Gilgamesh said to Utnapishtim the far away, I hardly slept when you touched, and roused me. But Utnapishtim said, Count these loaves, and learn how many days that you slept. For your first is hard, your second is like leather, the third is soggy, and the crust of your fourth has mould, your fifth has mildewed, the sixth is fresh, and the seventh is still over on the glowing embers, when I touched and awoke you. Gilgamesh said, What shall I do, O Utnapishtim? Where shall I go? Already the thief in the night has hold of my limbs. Death inhabits my room. Wherever my foot rests, there I find death. Then Utnapishtim spoke to Ushanabi, the ferryman. Woe to you, Ushanabi! Now and forevermore you have become hateful to this harbourage. It is not for you, nor for you are the crossings of the sea. Go now, banished from the shore. But this man, before whom you have walked, bringing him here, whose body is covered with foulness and the grace of whose limb has been spoiled by wild skins, take him to the washing place. There he shall wash his long hair clean, as snow in the water. He shall then throw off his skins, and let the sea carry them away, and the beauty of his body shall be shown, the fillet on his forehead shall be renewed, 
and he shall be given clothes to cover his nakedness. Till he reaches his own city and his journey is accomplished, these clothes will show no sign of age. They will wear like a new garment. So Urshanabi took Gilgamesh and led him to the washing place. He washed his long hair as clean as snow in the water. He threw off his skins which the sea carried away, and he showed the beauty of his body. He renewed the fillets on his head, and to cover his nakedness gave him clothes which would show no sign of age, but would wear like a new garment until he reached his own city, and his journey was accomplished. Then Gilgamesh and Urshanabi launched the boat onto the water and boarded it, and they made ready to sail away. But the wife of Utnapishtim, the faraway, said to him, Gilgamesh came here wearied out, he is worn out. What will you give to him to carry back to his own country? So Utnapishtim spoke, and Gilgamesh took a pole and brought the boats to the bank. Gilgamesh, you came here a man wearied out. You have worn yourself out. What shall I give you to carry back to your own country? Gilgamesh, I shall reveal a secret thing. It is a mystery of the gods, and I am telling you that there is a plant that grows under the water. It has a prickle like a thorn, like a rose. It will wound your hands, but if you succeed in taking it, then your hands will hold that which restores lost youth to a man. When Gilgamesh heard this, he opened the sluices so that sweet water currents might carry him out to the deepest channel. He tied heavy stones to his feet, and they dragged him down to the waterbed. There he saw the plants growing. Although it pricked him, he took it in his hands. Then he cut the heavy stones from his feet, and the sea carried him and threw him on the shore. Gilgamesh said to Urshanabi the ferryman, Come here and see this marvellous plant. By its virtue a man may win back all his former strength. I will take it to Uruk of the strong walls, and there I will give it to old men to eat. Its name shall be The Old Men Are Young Again, and at last I shall eat it myself and have back all of my lost youth. So Gilgamesh returned by the gate through which he had come. Gilgamesh and Urshanabi went together. They travelled their twenty leagues, then they broke their fast, after thirty leagues, they stopped for the night. Gilgamesh saw a well of cool water, and he went down and bathed. But deep in the pool there was lying a serpent, and the serpent sensed the sweetness of the flower. It rose out of the water and snatched it away, and immediately sloughed off its skin and returned to the well. Then Gilgamesh sat down and wept. Tears ran down his face, and he took the hand of Urshanabi. O oh, Urshanabi! Was it for this that I toiled with my hands? Is it for this that I have wrung out my heart's blood? For on myself I have gained nothing, for the beast of the earth has joy of it now. Already the stream has carried it twenty leagues back to the channels where I found it. I found a sign, and now I have lost it. Let us leave the boat on the bank and go. After twenty leagues they broke their fast. After thirty leagues they stopped for the night. In three days they had walked as much as a journey of a month and fifteen days. When the journey was accomplished, they arrived at Uruk, the strong-walled city. Gilgamesh spoke to him, to Urshanabi the ferryman. Urshanabi, climb up onto the wall of Uruk, inspect its foundation terrace, examine well the brickwork, see if it is not of burnt bricks, and did not the seven wise men lay the foundations? One third of the whole is city, one-third is garden, and one-third is field, with the precinct of the goddess Ishtar. These parts and the precinct are all Uruk. This too was the work of Gilgamesh the king, who knew the countries of the world. 
He was wise, he saw mysteries and knew secret things. He brought us the tale of the days before the flood, and he went on a long journey, was weary, worn out with labour, and returning engraved on a stone the whole story. 7. The Death of Gilgamesh The destiny was fulfilled, which the father of the gods, Enlil, of the mountain, had decreed for Gilgamesh. In nether earth the darkness will show him a light, of mankind all that are known, none will leave a monument for generations to come to compare with his. The heroes, the wise men, like the new moon have their waxing and waning. Men will say, who has ever ruled with might and power like him? As in the dark month, the month of shadows, so without him there is no light. O Gilgamesh, this was the meaning of your dream. You were given the kingship, such was your destiny. Everlasting life was not your destiny. Because of this, do not be sad at heart. Do not be grieved or oppressed. He has given you power to bind and to loose, to be the darkness and the light of mankind. He has given unexampled supremacy over the people, victory in battle from which no fugitive returns, in forays and assaults from which there is no going back. But do not abuse this power. Deal justly with your servants in your palace. Deal justly before the face of the sun. The king has laid himself down and will not rise again. The lord of Kalub will not rise again. He overcame evil. He will not come again. Though he was strong of arm, he will not rise again. He had wisdom and a comely face. He will not come again. He has gone into the mountain. He will not come again. On the bed of fate he lies. He will not rise again. From the couch of many colours, he will not come again. The people of the city, great and small, are not silent. They lift up the lament. All men of flesh and blood lift up the lament. Fate has spoken. Like a hooked fish, he lies stretched on the bed. Like a gazelle that is caught up in a noose. Inhuman Namtar is heavy upon him. Namtar that has neither hand nor foot, that drinks no water and eats no meat. For Gilgamesh, son of Ninsun, they weighed out their offerings, his dear wife, his son, his concubine, his musicians, his jester, and all his household, his servants, his stewards, all those who lived in the palace weighed out their offerings for Gilgamesh, the son of Ninsun, the heart of Uruk. They weighed out their offerings to Arishkigal, the queen of death, to all the gods of the dead, to Namtar, who is fate, they weighed out the offering. Bred for Naid, the keeper of the gate. Bred for Ningizda, the god of the serpent, the lord of the tree of life. For Dumuzi, also the young shepherd. For Enki and Ninki. For Endukuga and Nindukuga. For Emnul and Nimnul. All the ancestral gods, the forebears of Enlil. A feast for Shulpe, the god of feasting. For Samukwan, the god of the herds. For the mother Ninhursag, and the gods of creation in the place of creation, for the host of heaven, priest, priestesses, weighed out the offering of the dead. Gilgamesh, the son of Ninsun, lies in the tomb. At the place of offerings he weighed the bread offering, at the place of libation he poured out the wine. In those days the Lord Gilgamesh departed, the son of Ninsun, the king, peerless, without an equal among men, who did not neglect Enlil his master. O Gilgamesh, Lord of Kalub, great is thy praise.